Hello, and welcome to the CEO Blind Spots Show, where leaders lead leaders. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and the CEOs I invite on the show are both high performers and humble enough to share their leadership blind spots. Today's guest is Jeff Grudan. Jeff, you've had quite an experience being a high performer. You've uh, starting off really with with school. You went to some brand name schools. You started off with electrical engineering degree, University of Virginia. Then you went back and got your MBA from Duke. Then you worked at Compaq and you kept getting promoted. Then you worked at HP where you kept getting promoted and uh, you retired as the global head of, uh, well, I don't know that our listeners will know what thin clients means, but but one of their largest divisions. So you've had quite an experience before you started your current company. Um, I'm going to kind of turn this over to you because someone that has all those accolades, people might go, does he even have a blind spot? <laughs> Did he ever have a blind spot? So what do you have to say about that? And by the way, welcome to our show too, Jeff. Oh, well, first, bigger thank you. Know, thank you so much for having me. This is going to be fun. Um, I mean, I certainly have uh, blind spots. Uh, I discovered some when during my career. I, I uh, even in business for myself, I feel like I'm still uh, discovering <laughs> blind spots. But I think uh, I don't think you ever stop growing. Um, and so uh, you know, I'm, we're always looking for you know how do how do we be better better managers or a, be, a better business owner or a, you know a better partner for our our contractors and other people that we work with today. Um, I do remember, you know, one of the first ones I really discovered uh, early in my career when I was just be, uh, starting to be uh, a manager of people, uh, you know, I had a tendency to jump in and help uh, underperforming employees. I felt, well, I'm the manager, you know, if they're not being successful, it, it certainly must be my job to go help them be successful. And I, I do. And I believe that's true. Uh, but I kind of crossed that line to. Well, they're not getting it done, so I'm just going to do the work myself. And um, I, I had a, a, a mentor at the time that called that. Uh, you can't uh, pulling them up by their ears is what she liked to call it, uh, and uh, that, that wasn't necessarily a, a good thing. <laughs> uh, you know, you you always wanted to encourage people and help them be more successful, but uh, there was definitely a line uh, that I probably crossed to where I just said, you know what, they're not doing it to my level or my standards. So I'm going to do it myself. And that was a mistake um, because uh, mm. one of the mistakes managers make as they get promoted is they, it's easy to focus on the stuff you used to do because you're really good at it. And it's maybe a little bit more mm. scary to go focus on the new stuff that you haven't done before. Uh, and, but the reality is you got promoted because they wanted you to work on higher value activity that they decided, you know, I you can do that higher value activity, but your employees maybe cannot. And so it's really important that, uh, particularly at those inflection points of promotions, that you you step your game up and you focus on those higher value activities. And you know, you 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 encourage and help your team do their their work, but you you, you that line of doing it for them is the line you can't cross. Um, and which then leads mm -hmm. to, you know, one of the harder discussions once you become a manager of people is that you're only as good as your team. And if you don't have the right team, A, you can help them step up. You can you can train them. You can send them to classes. Uh, you can encourage them. But you also have to not be afraid to make changes to the team if, if people 
people are struggling. And, and that doesn't have to be let them go. It can be find them another role that maybe is better suited for what they, they're good at so you can get the right person in a role. So Jeff, how, how did you discern or how did you learn to discern how much more to try to develop someone or let them go? Uh, did, they, did they put you through uh, leadership development classes? Did they tell you step-by-step process or was this trial and error? Um, I, I honestly, there's a, a lot of trial and error. Um, uh, you, you know, one of the best practices for me was, you know, finding, you know, finding mentors. Uh, and so one thing I always did is I always try to find mentors and uh, wh- whether that's your boss or another senior leader. Uh, and you know, th- this, these are the kinds of conversations that are invaluable um, because, yeah, there, there's there was training. I'm sure there was training. It's been so long at HP that I don't really remember what I was trained on, what I wasn't. But I'm, I'm sure there was some, you know, some training about some of these things. But I would say, uh, honestly, the, the practical experience from other leaders was probably more valuable and, and more useful um, because there's also an element of you know, how do you get that done at your company uh, versus you, you may get trained on the general idea of um, don't hey as a manager you can't do your people's work for them, uh, so I think that general idea is probably something you know you can learn out of training or, or, or that sort of thing. But the okay if a person is not performing, you, what are, what is the methodology at that company? You know, so for me at HP, what would the, the right methodology be to to address that in, in the the right way and the best way um, for the employee as well as you know for the business. Yeah, I think you make a very good point because every company has its own culture and its own set of values. And some companies may just go uh, immediately fire them. And uh, and other companies may go, well, we want to give them, you know, three tries before you move them over. And so um, and then, like you said, you've got custom you know, people are custom. <laughs> so uh, right. I, I think you what great advice, right, to, to go find a mentor and to really be aware of the methodology of your company. Um, so on that note, you you were pretty clear about what your blind spot was back there at HP. So again, I'm curious, how did you discover it? Did Was it through performance reviews? Was it your manager all of a sudden saying something? Was it uh, you having tired of uh, uh, or, or maybe you were completely burnt out? Tell me, how did you discover it? So I, I, I do think the first time I discovered that was I, I, I had a manager who was also a mentor uh, sort of realize what was happening uh, and say, you know what, you, you can't do that. Um, and then mm-hmm. I, I think once once that seed has been planted, you, you get a little bit better at at identifying, you know, that that issue or, you know, or that challenge with people. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, after the first one or two times. I think you're you're quicker to see it, and and then of course once you've dealt with it once, and again you're right, everybody is different. So the, this the, this this description of custom is is a good one. Um, you, you know there can be a framework, but everybody's going to be different. You know some people it's 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 really um, quite acute, and it may be a performance plan, which is a bit more of a maybe a tougher, harder approach to it. Others are sometimes people just in the wrong role, 
And Mm -hmm. by moving them to a different role, they, you know, they become a different person and become extremely successful and, and, you know, do a fantastic job. So I I do think you need to, you know, look at each situation differently. But I I think once that seed was planted by a a helpful manager mentor, uh, you, you become a little bit more astute at, okay, you know what, the quality of work coming from this person isn't what it needs to be. I've already learned that I can't do it for them. And therefore, you know, we, we need to move to the next phase of either how do you train them up or how do you, you know, you know, move them to a, a better role or if they're really just not suited, you know, how do you move them out of the organization? Yeah. Well, and I think uh, you're right. You, it's, 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 you become more aware, you catch yourself and you do, you take action probably quicker and, and you obviously learn from it because I mean, for you to be, you know, for, you led the global marketing for HP $5 billion commercial mm-hmm. desktop product line. So you don't get there by not knowing how to, you know, <laughs> delegate to teams. So what, t- tell me what has surprised you the most about leading people? Yeah. So, so one of, uh, one of the things that, and I actually learned this later in my career, but, and I think I maybe just got a little bit lucky with the quality of people that I, I managed, uh, is that so, sometimes people can have employees, which could be a single, uh, an individual contributor. Uh, it can be a uh, manager. It can even be an executive. Uh, they can have what I call sort of multiple personas. Uh, you know, so there was a situation hmm. that happened towards the end of my career where uh, I had a, in my mind, and the way they had demonstrated to me a high-performing manager that did largely all the right things. They 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 managed a tight team. They got their work done. They were very organized. They were articulate. All all those things you you want. Um, and I actually promoted her. Um, at least once, it might be even twice in a two-year period based on her performance. Um, and then I began to discover that she was very, very good at managing up to me, but uh, the, her relationship with her employees had really um, deteriorated, as had her relationship with her peers. And hmm. it came to be a little bit of a shock to me. And that was uh, that that was kind of a... Uh, uh, a catalyst for me to be much more proactive around using 360 surveys, which is you get, Mm. you don't just do the review yourself um, and, and, you know, maybe some peers, but you do peers, you do several other managers and you do some employees and you do it in a um, sort of anonymous way. So particularly employees are are more comfortable with it. Um, But that was, that was, uh, you know, I'd always sort of felt I was a good judge of people and for most of my career, uh, one of my strengths was the quality and the performance of my teams. And so, you know, whether I chose well or I got a little bit lucky or some combination, uh, this was not something that I actually really ran into in any acute way until later in my career. But that was a, a surprise to me that, um, you know, you c- people could be so different in terms of their the way they interacted and you know uh, managed up to me, mm-hmm. and the way they they managed down to their teams and and even across the aisle to their peers. Yeah, yeah. So, so you did do the three hundred and sixty survey as a result of that, but what led you to even 
tell us again how you suspected something or what drove you to e to then get to the 360 point yeah uh, you know one of them was was exit interviews so um it, it, she had a, uh, some employees mm. um, wanting to leave. And so one of my things mm. I always like to do is, um, you know, even when I started managing bigger teams, um, if, if somebody wanted to leave the team, it could be just a five minute conversation. Um, but understand, you know, you know, if it's a promotion, you know, then uh, sometimes I didn't even have a conversation. I would just have a hallway conversation in the coffee room because I, I always, 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 um, supported people's careers. And if they had a promotional opportunity that they were qualified for, I would do it, you know, anything in my power to help them get that. But when people made lateral moves in particular, uh, I would, I always like to just have a quick conversation and kind of through some of those conversations, I, I began to um, understand that the, the management style of that manager was, was maybe not the best. And then uh, that started to come out, you know, peers, started to proactively reach out to me uh, and, mm. and, you know, trust some trusted peers that I'd worked with for many years. And so just, it, you start to connect the dots, um, you know, after a little bit. Wow. Well, I can see why people liked working for you. So first of all, the fact that you would do exit interviews, right? So first of all, very few leaders and companies do that. And when they do engage in that, it's usually HR that does it. And then number two, that you were someone that built relationships where people felt safe enough to start coming to you. Um, that is that is very unusual to have happen. So um, I think one of your positive blind spots is that the type of leader you were allowed this to to surface. You were number one, aware enough and willing to to do exit interviews, and number two, people felt good coming to you. So. Um, how do you think you built those those kind of relationships? Do you think it's just people really understood that you were trying to set them up to succeed and support them in their career? I, I think that's a part of it. Um, I, I mean, that was one of my my early back back to you know having good managers uh, who are mentors. Um, you know, the 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 best managers were the ones that you know felt like part of their role was to you know help support my career. I mean, I'm I'm a big believer, and at the end of the day, nobody can, nobody's going to be more responsible for your your career than yourself. And and mm -hmm. so while managers and and mentors and HR, all, you know, can all help, um, ultimately you're responsible. Uh, and that was that was one mm -hmm. of the things they taught me. But they also proactively would have conversations with me about you know what's what's your you know what's your career objective, you know how. Are, how do you like your role? Um, you know, what do you want your next role to be? What do you want two roles from now to be? And they, um, you know, where they could, they would always kind of help me um, meet my my career objectives. And so I I felt like mm. you know I, I wanted to pass that down uh, you know, to my teams. Um, I, I think another mm -hmm. best practice was uh, you, you know one of the one of the blind spots that some leaders have. I, I've never felt I've had that one is the um, being um, uh, being the fear of being challenged, right? Or the fear of having an employee that actually might be smarter than you. And I think mm. they're, the, 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 the worst practice is to try to hold those guys down. Uh, my feeling was uh, as long as I, they were on my team, um, you know, let them do their thing because they're going to make me look good. And that mm -hmm. doesn't mean I'm taking credit. Uh, I'm a huge believer in 
people get credit for their work. I don't, I don't take credit for their work. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that if, if you have really good people on your team that are doing really, really good work, um, you, that you get credit for having built a high performance team. You don't need the credit for like taking responsibility for their work. So I, you know, I, so I think mm-hmm. being focused on how do you help them be successful, giving them credit for their work, giving them visibility to, to your management chain, um, were all things that I, you know, I wanted from my manager and they generally gave me. And so I, I pass that along to my teams. Um, and I, honestly, I believe if, if people from your organization are constantly getting promoted out of your organization, that's, that's a sign of being a good manager. Uh, that's not a sign mm-hmm. of, oh, my God, I don't want this guy to get promoted because then, uh, you know, now he'll become my peer. Or I don't want that guy to be promoted because, you know, now I lose his services or her services, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. To me, a, a sign of um, multiple people from your organization getting promoted to higher roles uh, is a sign of you being a good manager and hiring good people and developing high performance teams. And so I, th- I think that that, that mentality, um, I think pe- people are going to want to work for somebody. Um, you know, if, if you can get the best people to come to your team, you're going to have a better team and you're probably going to perform better. Uh, whether it's because they, yeah. you know, having somebody smarter than you on your team to me is a good thing. Uh, I, I probably had at least two people that used to work for me that can't got promoted above me by the end of my career. And, you know, to me, that's a sign of you hire, you're hired good people and you supported them and you supported their success. I don't see that as a, like a failure on my part. Um, I think you have to, if you see really, really talented people, you got to do whatever you can to give them more responsibility. A, again, I think it'll make you more successful while you have their services, if you will. Um, But again, it'll also incent good people to come work for you. Yeah, I think that's very well put. And I don't want to skip over the, the earlier statement you made, which is, you know, your your mentors, uh, your managers would frequently come to you and, and ask you questions like, where do you want to go and how can we support you, which then you started doing with your people. And to me, um, I think the the traditional once a year or once every six months performance reviews are bankrupt and is, are a way to set people up to fail rather than succeed, because I think you, you need to proactively give feedback and proactively help people. Um, how, how did, how do you see that? So, yeah. I mean, the, the, we, that was HP's sort of baseline structure is a twice a year, you know, kind of a midpoint and then a, you know, an annual and, and they're, and they're fine. Um, yeah, they're fine as a baseline, but I, I do agree. Um, you know, I had, I had weekly one-on-ones with all my managers and they kind of knew that, you know, anytime they wanted to talk about, you know, something beyond just the, you know, this week's set of action items, uh, you know, they had, they had an open forum. Um, I would also do sort of, uh, you know, random, um, not really random, but I would do step, you know, um, skip level uh, lunches. Uh, sometimes I do it as a team. Sometimes I do it with individuals. Um, I, mm. Anytime an individual, you know, even not a direct report, you know, wanted to have lunch or have a 30 minute one-on-one to talk about career or, job opportunities or dissatisfaction in their current role. Um, I had a fairly open, you know, open, open calendar, open door sort of policy that, um, you know, I'll meet with anybody. Yeah. You know, my biggest team was about a hundred people. So 
I was capable of doing that. You know, if you're a, have 10,000 people, then maybe that's not quite as practical. Uh, but mm-hmm. you know, just depending on the size of the organization, I, I think you always have time to do at least, you know, a, a skip level, you know, type availability. Um, mm-hmm. and, that's, and, that, and that's not including, you know, all, all hands meetings and coffee, you know, group coffee talks and things like that. Right. Well, and some organizations are so, um, how do I say this, structured that um, if you were to do that, you would have to let the manager know of whoever you, so to speak, skip leveled, had lunch with. How did you handle that yourself? Yeah, I mean, it, all this stuff was very transparent. So, um, you know, if, if uh, a product manager, you know, wanted to have lunch, uh, you know, I would say, hey, by the way, hey, by the way, I'm having lunch with David tomorrow. And okay. you know, I wouldn't go out of my way to, uh, you know, share that discussion unless unless the the, the, unless the person wanted me to. Um, but yeah, I would, uh, you know, there was no, there was a visibility. There was no behind, going behind, you know, a manager to talk to his employee. Um, although, you know, occasionally, you know, back, you know, back to um, a pro- having a problem manager not knowing it, you know, that's also, you know, one way of finding, finding those things out. Um, so, yeah. Every situation could be a little different. If you sort of know a conversation is going to be about dissatisfaction with a with somebody's manager, then yeah, you might not you might not go out of your way to share that with the manager to understand what the you know, what the situation is. But um, certainly anything that was kind of a just that's a, exception. a general yeah yeah usually it's a general conversation. It's a career thing. It says hey I'm I've been doing this for three years. I'm kind of burned out. You know what should I do? You know those yeah. th- those are yeah you know you can. There's nothing super mm-hmm. horribly secret about that. And sometimes the solution is with the manager because, hey, you know, why don't we mm-hmm. uh, stretch this person? They're, uh, you know, they've been doing the same thing for three years. You know, why don't we give them a stretch assignment and, and see how that goes? Or, you know, or why don't we give them a, uh, an assignment from a, you know, a, uh, from a different manager's um, sort of um, folder of, uh, of projects and see and see how they do because they, maybe they want to try something different. Hmm. Very good. Wow. Well, you have certainly had quite a breadth of experience. Um, what are the one or two uh, habits that you have that, that had you succeed or, or and still have you succeed? Yeah. Um, gosh, let's see. Well, one for, for me, I am always sort of my sharpest in the morning. So I'm kind of a more of a morning person. Uh, sometimes by the time. Mm-hmm. By the afternoon, um, I'm a little bit more maybe mentally tired. Uh, so I typically um, would get up early. Uh, I would generally be at my desk uh, at the office uh, around seven in the morning. And sort of before, while it's quiet, before people start getting in, before the emails start flying, before meetings start, uh, I would normally have a kind of a two hour, I would try not to have meetings before nine and have a two hour mm-hmm. block to kind of work on my most, most sort of intellectually challenging. Uh, project. So, you know, what, what do I really have to mm-hmm. think? Um, and so I would always kind of try to take those on first thing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, at the end of the day, I would focus more on just um, administrative stuff. Can I clear my, try to clear my inbox, you know, try to clear any reporting or administrative type activity where I don't, I don't need to be particularly sharp. I just need to sort of power through some, you know, some of the more grunt task. work. Yeah, more task based. Yeah. Uh, exactly, um, and so yeah. that seemed to work pretty well with me um, to get those really 
where I really needed the most brain power, the most insight, um, to, and the most creativity is kind of get those assignments, try, try to work those assignments, you know, you know, first thing, first thing in the morning when I'm sharp. Yes, yes. Well, and, and you, again, I don't want to, you, you have shared so many jewels. I don't want to skip over them to you. They're normal, but I'm telling mm -hmm. you from talking lots of other leaders, mm -hmm. they're not always normal, so to speak. And one of the things you also just said is your first two hours were really more towards thinking. And, you know, we're all so busy and reacting all day long in general because of the mobile phones, the easy access. You know, I think Microsoft said people are always on now. But what that also means is I've noticed for leaders, it's almost like you're in reaction mode the whole time and there's very little think time. So mm -hmm. protecting that think time, I think, is is extremely necessary as a leader and also extremely challenging these days, which brings us to, you know, the current situation we're facing as a country with the coronavirus, the oil prices dropping, the stock market issues. You know, it, it's uh, how do you how do you carve out time to think and actually lead effectively during times like these. And, you know, I know you're no longer with HP, you retired, you started your um, own uh, real estate investing company. Um, and I have to share the name because it's, it's, it's priceless. So it's Ancon and it's for, it's a combination of your daughter, Andy and your son, Connor. What, what uh, there, at some point in time, you know, you started that company and what are your current challenges and your current opportunities considering, you know, the environment we're in right now. Yeah. Um, well, there's there's opportunities and challenges, and then there's ones that come specifically with our current environment. Uh, you know, basically, it's my wife and I uh, who we run the business. We're the only employees, if you will, and you know, we work with obviously dozens and dozens. It's a real estate business, so we work with dozens of uh, you know subcontractors. Uh, you know, one of the challenges mm -hmm. for sure is. Um, uh, and this goes back to some of the my my learnings as an executive is, you know, where do I spend my time? Um, you know, I mm. I, no, I no longer have my my nice little executive assistant. Uh, I no longer have a team of a hundred. Uh, <laughs> I can delegate to, mm -hmm. uh, and, and so um, you know, where where do I spend my limited time? Uh, there's a lot of uh, time that we can spend on high value activities like you know how do we go make money you know what projects are we going to take mm -hmm. on or not take on uh there's other mm -hmm. a lot of minutiae that's necessarily not necessarily value add there's bookkeeping there's accounting there's paying subcontractors right there's uh uh you know home depot runs <laughs> right and so coming up mm -hmm, with that right mm -hmm. blend of uh you know, my wife and I are the brains of the operation. So, you know, we, you know, how do we make sure we spend the lion's share of our time on the highest value activities? And how do we, you know, find the right delegation model uh, to subcontractors, to um, bookkeepers, to accountants? And so we don't, we don't get caught up in um, doing, you know, minimum wage activity, if you will, right? So, if, uh, if, if I spend a day swinging mm -hmm. a hammer, right, uh, but I could have paid somebody $150 to do that same work, uh, you know, I probably am better off working on something higher value and analyzing our next project, right, or, or you know, calling a banker to see if we get some cheaper money to finance a project uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, swinging a hammer somewhere. 
And so uh, mm-hmm. that's always sort of a, a ongoing, you know, pressure point for us, <clears throat> given you know, we're, uh, you know, we're basically self-employed. And so how do we use our time in the most sort of valuable uh, fashion, the highest ROI fashion? And, you know, you know, when do we delegate and, and outsource? Yeah. And then on top of that, you add the challenge of a husband-wife team. Uh, I know that Lena, your wife, you know, was the first to to jump into the real estate business and then she inspired you to join. But that's also not always easy for people to navigate through. So how, you know, and you're both very smart. <laughs> so, so did you guys come up with agreements of who was going to do what part of the business or is it just a daily get together and decide, uh, you know, uh, who's going to do what? Yeah, we definitely. It's like a Venn diagram. There, there are definitely some things that uh, that I uh, I like to do, <clears throat> and I'm drawn to that she could care less, and and vice versa. There are things, mm-hmm. uh, some things that she loves to do, uh, and and there, that I I could care less. And so there's there's sort of a natural division of labor. I think the main areas where we sort of come together is is on I would say investment decisions. So uh, you know we only have um, like anybody, we only have so much money to invest in projects and we only have so much time to invest in projects. And so we, we generally will come together uh, on, uh, you know, our, in making investment decisions that says, all right, you know, we, we have time and or money to go invest in another project. We're, hey, we want to go buy a, uh, buy a duplex. We want to go build something. And so I, I'll generally kind of go do that ROI analysis because I'm, I'm, She's quite good on spreadsheets, but she doesn't necessarily like to do it. And then we'll we'll have a sometimes the business meeting is a you know a spreadsheet and cups of coffee out on the patio. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll we'll be driving the kids to school. <laughs> um, so we you know we yes. find time where we where we can. Um, but that's you know one area where we we definitely come together and uh, use both of our perspectives on. You know hey what 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 new projects are we going to take on and you know what has the best ROI and. We also may have a conversation around, are we, do we want to go do a flip and, you know, get a, you know, big paycheck or, you know, do we want to focus on, you know, more of our cash flowing rental properties? Uh, and so, you know, where mm-hmm. are we strategically right now from a business perspective and, you know, what kind of, uh, you know, are we doing active investing this year? Are we doing passive investing this year? Yeah. Well, I, I know, thankfully, I, I know you both and I know you're very aligned in your vision, you know, short term and long term. Um, so I think, you know, you you guys have gotten the priority right there. Um, so and, you know, you're you're navigating through the current challenges that everybody's facing. I'm sure HP is facing a whole new level of challenges themselves. Um, so you're probably glad you you're in your real estate investing company. But any any advice, any words of wisdom for leaders who are currently dealing with the coronavirus, with the oil price drops, with the stock market crashes? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I think my biggest takeaway, uh, remembering all my years at corporate, is I th- I think what people uh, employees struggle with the most is is uncertainty and doubt. I think those are the things. Uh, um, that you know really bring down morale and bring down productivity, and you know create just it makes people hard to do their best. I think when they're when there's clear doubt and uncertainty around something. Uh, I know we always appreciated uh, honesty from our management team, even if it wasn't an answer that we liked. 
you know, we may have mm-hmm. wanted them to say one thing and they said, you know what, the, the, the reality is it's got, it's going to have to be something else. So, uh, I do think, I, I think, um, you know, honesty from, a, from the management team and, cl- and clarity on, um, to, to sort of limit, limit that uncertainty and doubt, um, is sort of, is one thing I think. And then I think compassion, um, you know, I think when employees are having a bad time, you know, whether it was a, you know, it's the, the coronavirus or it was Harvey or, you know, um, challenging financial times uh, you know, at, the, at a company, knowing that the, the company sort of does does have their back and, you know, will do whatever mm-hmm. they reasonably can to sort of support to support them. I mean, because at the end of the day, most employees, the, number, the thing they care about, uh, um, you know, in good times, maybe it's career, it's upward mobility, it's the bonus. In bad times, it's you know, can I can I pay my bills and feed my family? So uh, mm-hmm. I, I think giving them giving them the facts and the and 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 so they're not speculating, and then being mm-hmm. seeing some compassion from the company that look, you know, we're you know we we will have your back in in, in every reasonable way we can. Um, it goes a really long way. I think to, you know, a being a compassionate leader, but I, I also think that gets paid back to you because I think your employees will be more, you know, more productive if if they're not speculating and and they feel like they have line of sight on how they're going to pay their bills and feed their family. Yeah. Wow. Well, I uh, I'm glad you added this piece because I think that'll help a lot of leaders right now and. You know, one of the things that you've said over and over is the importance of having a mentor. And, you know, I'm, I'm providing this podcast in part as a virtual mentor because, you know, first of all, it's very hard to spend time with people these days because everyone's so busy. And now obviously we're moving, you know, uh, many parts of the country and many leaders are already self quarantining. So, you know, uh, reaching a mentor and having a mentor guide you is, is, is even tougher, but even more important right now because we don't, you know, as, as we've talked about, Harvey was a one-time event uh, and this, we don't know all the trickle effects and how long this is going to last. So chances are, you know, th- there's no leader who can tackle this by themselves right now. So we need to all come together. And I really appreciate you, Jeff, for making yourself available during this time. I know you have your own set of challenges you're dealing with in your company. And, um, but, you know, uh, speaking with me in this podcast, sharing your experience, um, I think is, you know, has been a really valuable contribution and um, you certainly, you know, fit the mold of leaders leading leaders. So thank you very much for being on the show and, um, you know, with gratitude, I, I wrap up and uh, I, uh, uh, I'm i going to turn it over to you and, and see uh, how you want to say goodbye because um, they're probably tired of hearing my same old goodbye and best wishes uh, ending. <laughs> so, how would you like to wrap up the show? Uh, gosh, let's see. Well, first, thank you for having me. Uh, I've uh, uh, I've known known you for a number of years now, and have uh, you know, enormous respect for uh, all the things that you've accomplished. And and I I, uh, I know this is a kind of a passion project for you, and I I, I love I love the the angle because I I do believe. Uh, managers at every level uh, are going to have blind spots, 
And, uh, you know, I, I would say that the thing I wanted, you know, I definitely learned is I definitely learned more from my peers at all the different levels of management um, than I probably learned from kind of formalized training, you know, book training or, or other kinds of training. So, um, mm. yeah, I mean, the more senior you get those and those blind spots can affect more and more people. So I, I think this is just a, is it an amazing project and, you know, the insights um, that you're developing, I, I think are, you know, incredibly powerful. Um, so just from a goodbye perspective, I would just uh, <clears throat> wish all those um, uh, executives out there with big teams, you know, you know, best of luck and the, you know, the, I, w I wish you the, the, the fortitude and uh, to, uh, to help, you know, yourselves and your teams and your, and your organizations through, you know, what's a kind of unprecedented uh, challenging time. And, um, you know, hopefully this will all be, be over sooner, sooner than everybody thinks versus, versus. Yeah. Thank you very much, Jeff. Okay. Thank you, Birgit. We'll, I'll talk to you soon.